Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Can you congratulate somebody on your left and your right? Congratulate them. Tell them congratulations. You are blessed. Congratulations. You are healed. Congratulations. You are lifted. And as you do that, please take your seats. The Lord is good. I want to continue what we have been discussing concerning the um, subject of change, how change comes. We need to bear those things in mind that we have been saying, especially about the fact that change starts inside, not outside. The problem with Israel when they asked for the king was they did not understand the cause of their problems. They thought that environmental manipulation should solve the problems when God said solution lies in changing you from inside. Environmental manipulation is not what will solve the problem. The real problem God is solving for us are not temporal problems. Let, let me say that again. The real problem that God is solving is not a temporal problem. That is, is not material things. It's not what we can see physically. What is more important to God to solve is eternal issues. You, the condition of your soul is an eternal matter. The condition of your soul is an eternal matter. And that is what he's solving. In fact, I have a theory. I'm not saying this is just the way it is. But I also suspect that we are, the earth is a processing platform for people that will live with God eternally. That they are sent here to be processed. That's the way it is. So what God is solving really is your eternal issues. What God is solving is the thing that will live with you forever. What God is solving. And that's why I gave this example several times before. That God could, and he does that for us all the time. All the time. He could have prevented David from seeing Bathsheba. He could have. God could have made sure that that day there was a problem. That is the day before. There was a problem in one of the battlefields. And Joab would have had to send for David. That would need your counsel at this particular point in time to be able to solve what is going on. But God, that would have made David be so busy planning, strategizing. He could have sent two of his generals to come and have a discussion with him. They would have had no time looking at any woman at all. There's a the kind of problem you will have. You can't have any temptation. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Yes. <laughs> you, you, you can't have certain temptations certain times. You understand? God could have just done that for him. But why didn't he do it? It's simple. Because David was doing, as far as he understood in his own generation, he had done everything. The Bible says clearly he pleased God in everything apart from that single case of Uriah the Hittite. Now, so, but that spirit, that seed was inside him. It was inside, was locking somewhere deep. And this man was going to die and go into eternity with that seed, seed like that inside him. And God said no. Now listen to this. God must have, and that's the way he works. He must have given him the opportunity to confess that thing. He must have given him the opportunity to uproot that thing out of his heart. That's just the way he is. He must have. But David did not take advantage of it. So he needed to prove to David. When David said, Try me, O Lord, you understand? Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. He wasn't saying that God should discover it. He was saying God should reveal it to him. 
When God said to Adam, where are you? He was not confused at all as to where the Adam was. He could see through the trees. He could see them from above. He could see them. That is, David said, where can I hide from your presence? He knew where they were. But he wanted them to open their mouths and acknowledge where they were. He wanted them to open their mouths and acknowledge. He said through Jeremiah, only acknowledge your iniquity. You need to just acknowledge what is going on. That was the issue with David. So, hmm, God said, right? Let it germinate. If this seed germinates, David will know exactly what is inside him. So what did he do? He allowed him to see Bathsheba. He knew what to happen. You know, you know, you know your own man. I hope you're getting my point. <laughs> he knew the kind of person that David was. He said, this Bathsheba, David cannot let her pass. If, if David sees Bathsheba, he will make an inquiry. And that was not the first time I was making an inquiry. I hope you understand. The other inquiries, it's just that the women were single. Or they were widows. You know, stuff like that. Uh-huh. But uh, in Bathsheba's case, the problem was that she was married. You know, when David quarreled with Absalom, you know, he left the household of concubines. That's how David was. He was in that area. It was Solomon learned from him. He'd be saying, Solomon had a seven hundred wives. Who will you be like? Not like your father. That's why you have to be like our father who's in heaven. You understand my point? Solomon was like his father. Just that there's what we call gene amplification. Next generation was worse than the previous generation. David's first six sons were born by six different women. Is it that they only have sons in that family? No. There were 12 women pregnant, six born boys, six born girls. That's my theory. Are you getting my point? But the Bible counted them. Six. The first six sons were born by six different women. So, God knew David. He knew David was called Bathsheba. He knew what would happen. The angels were feeling bad ahead. He said, leave David. Why? That's why I'm talking about it. So that David will know what is wrong. So that David will be able to pray the prayer of Psalm 51. So that the David that will die will be a, a David that has been well prepared for eternity. So that, that David will not be a David that will go through this earth thinking he's a good man. Meanwhile, inside him, something is locking inside there that's not good. That's the problem that God was solving in the life of David. So when David did what he did, God knew what would happen. God so knew what would happen. He was waiting for him. He sent Nathan in. And then Nathan allowed David to demonstrate for us the problem God was trying to solve. Self-righteousness. A man took ordinary goats. Is it one goat? And David was going to discipline him harshly. He did not even realize that he was worse than a man stealing a goat. I hope you're getting my point. He didn't realize it. So God said, no, we need to solve this problem. So that was what he did. Of course, you know the rest of the story. Of course, Nathan exposed to him what he was hiding. And then he told him what was going to happen. And David went into prayer. And that was when he wrote Psalm 51. And he began to pray to God, creating me a new, you know, a new heart, renew a right spirit within me. You understand? Those prayers were necessary. David needed to pray. This was a man who thought he was perfect. Again, that was what God was solving for Job. Job also was a good man. But Job's level of righteousness was not the level that God wanted Job to walk in. Job was walking in the realm of what he knew, but it was righteousness by works. He thought that what he did in obeying the commandments of God 
was what was going to you know, secure his blessings. I've had, now, I want to just say this because you will hear it and don't be confused. Something, some things you hear, all right, outside, they may differ from what I have said, you know, diametrically opposite a lot of times. But it's not like I don't know those things. So that's why once in a while, I like to repeat them for you. Not because I want to, you know, create, um, I want to just be critical and all of that. Because sometimes, I've said it before, somebody, you tell somebody something, you hear something else, he now brings it to you. Like this disagrees with you as if it's news. Like Pastor Bang, have you heard somebody said, I knew that before you, before you started, before you met me, I knew it. That's not, do you know the truth? I've not, I'm not joking about this. I've heard next to new doctrine. No, I'm not saying that. This is not about self-righteousness. So I'm too good. I've not heard any radically new doctrine in 25 years. There's many people who are preaching now. I've not heard 30 years ago. This gospel of grace they are preaching now. I, I was a student. Now, for information, I left University of Benin in 1991. Yet, as a student on campus, this gospel began to reign towards the latter part of my stay. So it's not new. Somebody will take your money. Say, it's not me that took his my flesh. I'm not kidding. So really, there's next to nothing new. These doctrines have been preached for a hundred years. Did I say hundred years? I meant to say two thousand years. There are things, look, when James wrote, this doctrine was being preached. That was why he wrote. There is not this worship of Judaism that's going on now. It was on that time. That was why Paul wrote the book of Galatians. All the story of bless a Jew so he can be blessed is not new. That was why Paul had to write the book of Galatians. So don't be impressed. There's no, you know, but you know some people, they, they got born again like seven years ago. Okay, have you ever seen, you know how you know a man who just bought a new phone and is joining WhatsApp for the first time? You know how you know them? They start forwarding things that you read six years ago. <laughs> no, that's how you know them. You know, <laughs> especially, some of the, especially your grandfather. Are you getting my point? <laughs> you know, that's how you know your grandfather finally got the smartphone for the first time. In the same manner, when people, when people they give their life to Christ recently, they now hear one new doctrine. They think, they think it's novel. It's nothing new. Nothing new. We've heard them before. They will just, oh, for information, they will disappear again. They always disappear. So let me get back to what, why I know why I want to do that. So sometimes I repeat some of these things, all right, just so that people will know I know them. When I'm telling them, look, this is the truth about life. I hope I get my point. People will tell you that, look, once you just give this tithe, you secure the destiny of the generations. It's not true. So, back to the matter of Job. Job thought, of course, he thought that because he had learned some of these principles, and he was doing righteously, that his destiny was secure. And God said, listen, your faith is in the wrong place. You're a good man, I know. Now, the fact that you are a good man, a good woman, does not mean you can't be mistaken. In fact... Is the goodness of his heart that made God come to correct him. I hope you're getting my point here. He was mistaken. But God said, we have to solve this problem. It's an eternal problem. It's not a temporal problem. It's eternal. So we have to give it what it takes. So he said, okay, good. Not only will we solve it for Job, we will solve it for generations after him. Job's temptation did not come from Satan. That is the idea. It was God that asked him a question. Have you considered my servant Job? You know what Jesus said? He that bears fruit, I will prune. That he may do what? Bear more fruit. It was pruning time for Job. Have you considered my servant Job? God said, I, Satan said, oh yes. I see the way you have blessed him. You have surrounded me with a hedge everywhere. 
blocked every side for him. Satan didn't say, eh, 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 let's see what will happen. No. It was God that began the whole idea. Have you considered this? Okay. Now, I'm going to remove this. Ah, Satan said, no, wahala. Remove this thing, he will curse you to your face. God said, that's where I was going. I know you are thinking so. For your information, God knew Job wouldn't. I hope you know, you get that point. He knew Job would not. Where he was going to was not to make Satan, you know, Satan, I won. He, he knew he was going to win. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Don't think that it was like, hey, just my children watch you. I'm going to win over Satan in this game. Job was not a game. God was not in doubt in the least bit that he will win. He knew the job that he had. But he said, I need Job to get to a point. I need Job to come out from this level of righteousness. I call it the second level. Job was good. He was in that second level of works in the righteousness. But he needed to go into the third level, the third heaven's level. He needed to go into the place where righteousness is by faith. A place where you can never attain that righteousness by your own works. That's what God was doing. So all the good things in the life of Job that he thought he knew how to get by his works, God allowed Satan to take all of them. You know, I've heard people tell me things like that before. I just look, I say, may God not Job bless your life. Oh. Did you hear what I said? Did I pronounce it well? Yes, you jubilize somebody's life. Why are you prospering? I know the seed we sowed. That prosperity will go. It's going, it's going. No, I'm not joking about it. You will suffer the kind of, that is, when the suffering starts, this is the problem. You will start sowing some more. God said, that's where we are going. You will sow until you have nothing else to sow. Then when you are almost dead with seed, you now say, God, now, nah, what's going on? Biko, help me now. I say, fine. Now, do I want you to, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, have you not gotten the point that this your seed cannot help you? She said, what can help me? You say, Jesus died that you might be helped. So how do I connect with that? Just say thank you and amen. So this my life of giving is not necessary, not for this blessing. Why do I give? Because you are my child. You should be like me. You know, as I was coming today, one of our brothers called me, so we talked on the phone. <laughs> you know, something like, we wanted to clarify something with me, but it's interesting. He said, one man posted on Facebook that last year he did not tithe, he did not give first fruit, nothing. And he prospered more than ever before. So, he had said that there's no point. I laughed. I said, is, is this not what we have been talking about? On Facebook, that the man said, this year, I did not type for anybody. I didn't give him nothing. But I never see this kind of prosperity before. <laughs> I said, wicked people. You can see. He never loved God, never loved anybody. I've never come to, of course, you will, never do, you will not do it too. I've never come to you and said, I did not feed my children this last year and see how I prospered. I hope you get my point. My children didn't have food, nothing. They were hungry throughout, and I prospered. Can I make that kind of statement? That's the kind of giving Christians are supposed to do also. It doesn't even cross my mind. They're just my kids. They're my responsibility. I have to take care of them. So I won't come to you and say, after I gave her Kulu school fees, the doors opened. Contrast began to flow in. All my trucks that fell, they got up again from the, on the road, and their tires inflated themselves. I opened the door. We pay my children's school fees. Will you say that? You wouldn't. Why? It doesn't even cross your mind. It's your duty. It's your responsibility. If anything, once you pay the school fees, Father God, I thank you that I have paid. Thank you that I have the money. Thank you that they have uniforms. 
thank you because they have food. I mean, you are grateful that you can provide those things. You don't think it's a seed. And that's how the lives of Christians should be. That's what I'm saying. Christians, don't ever... That's what happened to Job. God removed everything from Job to solve an eternal problem. Job needed to step into the area in which he understood that righteousness is purely by faith, not by works. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. But in Job's case, sorry to say it was necessary for him. And if if it will not be necessary for you, then please learn the lesson of Job early. Learn it early. Learn it early. What am I going to explain? You see, in each of these cases, God is solving an eternal what? Problem. He's solving an eternal problem. He's not solving a temporal problem. It was easy for him to replenish everything for Job when he had solved the problem. It was easy. One of the things I understand about the Lord is his control of material things. His control of material things. It was so easy for him, you know, to just settle Job. So, okay, fine. Job has gotten the point. Job has been corrected. He has now stepped beyond the righteousness by works. He has now stepped into the righteousness of faith. That's what, that was what God wanted. So let's bear it in mind, please. Israel, when they didn't understand this, they asked for a king. When Jesus came, when, they, of course, when Israel began to look for the Messiah, they expected him to be a warrior. They expected the Messiah to physically shake off the deliverance, the, the, the bondage that he had over them. Different generations. They've been in bondage for many generations. Assyrians conquered them. Babylonians conquered them. You understand? The Greeks took over. Romans took Everybody's been just riding on them. So they are looking for the king that will say this will never happen again. And God said, no, you guys didn't get the point. There was none of these people, not one, that was strong enough to take you over. The only thing that ever took you over was your iniquity, your sins, your godlessness. The distance between you and God was always the problem. So when the real Messiah came, they didn't understand him. Because he was preaching love. If a Roman slaps you, you should turn the other cheek. Why should I turn the other cheek? If you're a real Messiah, if a Roman slaps me, go and ask Moses. He killed the first one. And that's what happened to Moses. You're telling us you're a Messiah. No, we don't understand. If he says, go with me one mile, I should go with him two miles. If he removes my coat, I should give him the shirt also. Next thing, he will collect my singlet and then strip my skin. And you'll be there saying, Messiah, you're not serious. Crucify this one. Crucify him so we can make space for another one. Why? They did not understand that their real bondage was spiritual. And that's what I'm trying to explain to us again. That this internal change is what God starts with. Please, if you have not read my book, How to Work for God, download it and read it. They are also explained that working for God starts inside. It is not an outward thing. When you want to work with God, focus on that internal change first. All other things are added to it. Let me quickly say something. Also recognize that the internal change is an end in itself. What I mean is this. You know, sometimes you know, we are so fixated on material things that every good thing we do, even though it's spiritual, are you getting my point? It's still for the end of what? The material side. Do you follow my point? If they say people pray, okay, let, let me give an example. There's one man who said that, um, okay, I heard the story of one man that he followed the leading of the Spirit until he became very, very rich. 
Understand? It became very wealthy. So people began to learn how to follow the leading of the Spirit. Why? What's the reason? So they will become rich too. It didn't cross their minds that if you, the Holy Spirit can lead you, that should be the, that's all you want. Being very, very rich is an assignment for some people. It's not for everybody. If you can be led by the Spirit into the wilderness, good. At least you are sure you were led by the Spirit into the wilderness. How did Jesus get there when he was being tempted by Satan? Was led by whom? The Spirit. Did Jesus, was Jesus led by the Spirit until he became very rich? No, he was led by the Spirit until he died on the cross. Paul was led by the Spirit until they beat. <laughs> yes, he was led by the Spirit. But many of us still, we are so fixated on outward things. Like I said before, you know, when people ask you what's the will of God, there are questions I can ask, how do I know God's will? First of all, we have to first understand what you call God's will. Because many people are asking you, how do I know God's will? What they're asking for is not what you are thinking. I've had that experience. No, 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 no. I see, as, as one counseling people, as, 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 a, as a teacher of the word, Many times they are talking to people. What they are, what they are discussing is not what they are. Look, the fellow's mind is somewhere else. Your mind is somewhere else. Somebody said, what is the will of God? Asking, what do you know? What, what do you understand as God's will? Is it the one that will help me to become rich? Is that what you call uh, the will of God? No one of my classmates said something today. I had a good laugh. If I had to laugh, you know, they were chatting. So they asked a the question. I said, I know the answer, but I won't tell you. All right? I, I, the person who asked the question, he said, please tell me now. I said, okay, unless you agree to come to my church. Of course, it's not in any way. I was just joking. All right? He said, but I'm already a member of your church. I said, how come? He said, I listen to you in Benin every Friday by 5 p.m. I said, now you have caught yourself. We don't broadcast. Our broadcast is not by 5 p.m. It's another time. <laughs> he said, I know. It's usually when I'm going back home. I'm inside my car. I said, anyway. One person I said, oh, you have been listening to Banky and you have not yet changed. They call me pastor in, the, in, the, in our classmates uh, group. And you have not yet changed. You know what he said? <laughs> that was why I laughed. He said his preaching is not convincing. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> so I said that, uh, oh, if Jesus could not convince the Pharisees, and Paul could, Paul could not convince the Jews, who am I to convince you? He says, well, look at the kind of pastor where I say, look at how hard he is. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody said, what do you mean? It's not convincing. That's, what that's the joke. He said he doesn't tell us how to hammer quick, quick. <laughs> that was when I started laughing. He said the guy does not tell us how to hammer quick, quick. What kind of preaching is that one? We'll just be there. Just be preaching righteously. I'm adding my own words now. Now righteousness man go chop. I beg. He said he has listened and... There's no, I don't teach anybody how to hammer quick, quick. <laughs> no, see, uh, human means, that's what they are looking for a lot of times. When somebody say he wants to follow the leading of the Spirit, the truth is that a lot of times, it is that outward thing they are still focused on. They follow God, though they claim. You say, come for prayer meetings. The fellow is coming for prayer meetings because he believes that if I come enough for the prayer meetings, after a while, I will hammer. That's what I mean when I say, listen, understand that the spiritual trait. In fact, were it not that we have work to do on this earth, it will have been that as soon as you hit a particular level of spirituality, when God understands that he has corrected your eternal problems enough, he will take you away instantly. The only reason why he leaves you afterwards is because you have work to do. 
What am I going to say? That spiritual, that internal work, as far as God is concerned, is what he is doing. It's not the means by which he's doing something else. Every other thing is used to do this one. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. That is, whatever the Lord needs to do to produce perfection in us, he will. That spiritual perfection is what he's going for. I hope you're getting my point. Every other thing he's doing on the earth is just to aid the assignment he gave to us. And listen to this also. In the process of doing his assignment, we are still attaining perfection. Do you get my point? Let's read this so you get my point. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Now for time's sake, and my life reading a long portion, for time's sake I'll just read a short one. Let me start from verse 7. I'll read about five verses. In the previous time, that's the previous verses, Paul had explained that if somebody had the right to boast or the opportunity to boast or the opportunity to brag about his, um, you know, pedigree, material things he could boast on, that is put confidence in the flesh. He said he had it. He now said in verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost. Now follow this. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I, I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Now follow this. I may gain Christ. I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Remember Job? Remember Job's case here? Yeah? Uh-huh. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, I need need two more verses or so. Not that I have already obtained it. This is a man who has been working for God or have already become perfect. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I finished what I wanted to read, but I just need to read two more verses so that I'll, because the main thing I want to preach today, I'm going to pick them from here. So since we are there, let me just read it. So two more verses. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Now, these two verses, we'll refer to them later. But what I've brought from here is that this was somebody who was working for the Lord, but he told us that he's still pursuing something. I hope you're getting my point here. He was going up and down preaching, but he said, there's something I'm trying to lay hold of. And what was it? The reason why God laid hold of me. And what was that reason? It's simple. Perfection in Christ Jesus. That's it. So even in the work that he was doing, it was perfection. That God was you know, trying to produce. Let me say this to us. Believers in Christ Jesus, we must bear these things in mind. We must understand it. Every single thing God gives us on this earth is to produce 
perfection in Christ Jesus. Every single thing. If you are looking for something that you don't bear that in mind, you are missing the goal of Christianity. What am I trying to say? That God gives you food on a daily basis is part of what I'm talking about. That God gives you a wife, gives you a husband, is part of what I'm talking about. That God gives you a job, a business, a career, is part of what I'm talking about. That God sends you to school is part of what I'm talking about. There are so many stories in our lives we can use to explain this. I, my personal life, I have a few. You've heard me use this one before, that there's a certain part of God I did not understand until I became a husband. There's a certain part of God I didn't understand until I became a father. Now, you read them in the Bible, though. Not like you don't read them. But the, what the Bible calls epignosis, Greek, that is this, you know, deep, convinced knowledge experiential knowledge. That is something you have, like John said, that which our hands have handled. There are certain parts of God you will never find out until you, you have some experiences. Different people need different experiences. I hope I get my point here. And that's what God is doing in our lives. You know the truth? Sometimes God allows us to go into some... We, 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 we are the ones that made the mistake. It's not him, we made a bad decision with this one that is wrong. And God said, no, no, no. You know, who, who, sorry, let me ask you. Who saw Bathsheba? Was it the eyes of the Holy Spirit? Was it not the eyes of David? Who fell for temptation? Was he led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted to fall? No. It was David. Who tried to cover up? Was he inspired by the Holy Spirit to cover up? Who killed Uriah? David, not Joab. <laughs> Joab was a co-conspirator. <laughs> so it was David that did all of these things. But of course, the Lord was watching him. Now, God, that is, all the mistakes that he made, all the errors that he involved himself in, at the end of the day, now, there's no catch to it, did, did God use it to produce perfection in him? There's no catch to it. True of us. God so used it to produce perfection. He proved it to us by giving him Solomon from that union. A normal human being would not have produced Solomon from that experience. Normal people would have said, Bathsheba, please, eh? ever since you came into my life, my life has not been the same again. <laughs> I think you should go home. Don't worry, I'll say to you everything that the gratuity of Uriah, yours. Then I will say, that is, Uriah was a general, you know, one of those big men, okay? Maybe something like a major general, stuff like that. As one of the strong men of David. I will settle you well. If I will get you a good husband to replace Uriah. You want another soldier? I mean, that's a very, look, that's a reasonable thing anybody would do. You shouldn't marry Bathsheba. But God has his own way of doing things. Not only did he allow him to marry Bathsheba, he blessed him with Solomon, gave a special name to the boy. I'm he gave him blessings, promises that he placed upon that boy's head. As if without committing iniquity, there will have been no progress in this country. So what I'm going to say is sometimes, look, you, you may have made mistakes in your life. It does not make you farther away from the perfection in Christ. It has drawn you closer. I pray you understand what I'm going to say. It has drawn you closer. And that's how the Lord works. So, 
What, what I was saying earlier, there are every experience in our lives. There's, as a, see, let me tell you the truth. What you just need to do, first of all, is to give your life to Christ. Once you have given your life to Christ, he started working. He has started working. He converts everything, good and bad, to work for his purpose. You know, there are some bad things that you did not do. You were just going on the road and lightning struck. Is that your fault? <laughs> That's one. But there are some that you did. You looked at Bathsheba, corrected Bathsheba, killed Uriah. Caused a lot of, you know, disaffection in the land. You did that one. Your name is David. Don't blame anybody else. It's inside you. But that experience, God said, good. Since you are one of my children, I needed it to produce perfection in you. He said, ah, but it's a bad thing. Yes, but that bad thing has germinated. It has produced. Now all of us can see it, can't we? So I've killed pride in your life before you were feeling like the toughest guy that ever came to Israel. Now when you are going out, now you're feeling like a man that has experienced mercy. Amen? <laughs> That's how you feel now when you're going out. Which is necessary. It's necessary. You know, before you feel like the deliverer of Israel. The light of Israel has come. Now when you want to come out, they will be begging your God, just come out. They are forgiving you. Come out. Say, hey, I should come out. You will come out. God says, see, humble man. Humble. No, you know, I'm not very good with football, all right? But I, I, I heard a few things. Uh, is it Moreno? What's his first name? Ose Moreno. Eh? Ose Jose. Okay. I heard I used to call himself the, is it the, the special one? The special one. One day I heard him say he's now the humble one. Yes, you see, that's what God is doing in people's lives. <laughs> when you can't win a cup in 10 years, you become the humble one. Before, when you were winning everything, one after the other, you take a club out of nothing into everything. You are so powerful, you challenge a billionaire on his own club. Say, this man can't play. I say, he can't play. No, he can't play here. You resign, they beg you, come back, you go. What are you? A special one. <laughs> God said, there's no wahala. I'm walking. <laughs> after a while, you come back and say, you are the humble one. You are the renewed one. You are the regenerated one. You are the blessed one. And when is the word blessed, not in an arrogant way, you mean that it is not me, it's the blessing of God working with me. You know what Paul said? Because of the abundance of revelations. Now, the abundance of revelation was not the problem. It was not. It was because I'm the kind of person that the abundance of revelation begets pride in. That was the problem. So Paul said, because of the abundance of revelations, so that I would not be exalted beyond measure, it was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Listen, that was exactly what God did for Paul. Because, let me explain something to you. The kind of knowledge Paul had. Let me tell you the kind of person Paul was in the Bible. When when I've read my Bible a bit up and down. Once you remove Jesus Christ, everybody has to be struggling to be like Paul. I'm telling you, the man on that, what did Moses know? Jesus told Paul, when he met him on that road, all right, to Damascus. He said to him, you're going to be my witness concerning what you have seen. And concerning things, I will visit you later to tell you about. For Paul, Jesus was not a story, not, not something to believe, just believe. No. Jesus was a visitor he has seen many times. I hope you get my point. Paul knew heaven, he knew earth. He knew heaven, he knew earth. He was not there the night Jesus was betrayed. But he said, that which was delivered to me, let me give it to you. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus told him the story by himself. Listen, for you not to be arrogant and proud under those circumstances, 
You can't teach yourself without, you know, we are different kinds of human beings. You know, they got to Paul at the point in time. He said, let us, let, oh, is he boasting? Let me boast. And I said, I will boast of my weaknesses. He was about to start, he said, hey, turn in the flesh, let me boast of my weaknesses. That was what turning the flesh did for him. He understood that when I am weak, that is when I am strong. It was, listen, the man knew so much that when he wrote, Peter read the scrolls and called him. Say, please, I'm not doubting you, Brother Paul. You know, the Lord said he anointed you. But Jesus never told us this one. James, did you hear him say it? He said no. John, you see him? John said no. I never heard Jesus say this. So, Brother Paul, can you just explain? Paul will say, but he told you guys, there are things I want to tell you, you can't bear them now. It's one of those things. Say, eh, you can bear it, eh? Yes. <laughs> explain. Paul will explain, explain, explain. Peter will look and say, sorry, you are trying to tell me that after all this millennia, there's no longer any difference between us, Jews, and the Gentiles. Yet, precisely what I'm saying. You can't say that outside, though. <laughs> so Peter wrote to them. He said, according as our brother Paul has written to you <laughs> in his letters, of which some things are hard to understand. When the man is telling you like that, I wasn't joking. No? So God said, this is the kind of power we are dealing with. So what do we do? He gives him a turn in the flesh because the boy goes soon crazy. I understand what his turn in the flesh was. It's there, written clearly. It was his afflictions, his persecutions, his troubles, all those things. It followed him everywhere. Trouble followed Paul everywhere. He didn't enjoy it, so he prayed to God three times. God said, leave it like that. It's for, now, this point I'm making, it's for your own good. Kanehagin said he disobeyed the Lord once. Not as if a one-time occurrence, but a portion of his life. So God said, how, how do I do this boy? So he wanted to jump from, he was preaching, he, he, he jumped back onto the platform. But make a long story short, he misstepped, fell, and dislocated his elbow. So while he was in hospital re- recovering, the Lord walked in and said, I told her we're going to talk later. Now let's talk. That is, the Lord appeared to him and they discussed for some time. Told him that what he was doing was wrong in that he put his teaching ministry above his prophetic ministry. More like he suppressed his prophetic ministry and was only operating in the teaching ministry. And he said that was going to kill him by the age of 55. He was in his 30s at that time. You'll have found that that man, very beautiful teacher of the word, 55, suddenly became sick and died. Had meningitis or he had a sore throat. Some, one funny thing would just kill him. The Lord said to him, so that it will not happen. That's why you have to dislocate that shoulder, that elbow, so we can have this discussion. He said, so your elbow is going to heal 99%. He said, Lord, please, did you say, what's wrong with the other 1%? That's why I'm, t- I'm telling the story. Oh, say that 1%, so that you'll never forget. He said, that 1% is so you will not forget. It would have been foolish for him to have insisted, say, Lord, do it 100%, I will not forget. No. You know why? I'll tell you, I have experience with that. The truth is this. That 1%, you will never notice it until you start sleeping. And that's what God does. When you start sleeping away from where he said you should be, then suddenly you wake up one morning and the elbow will start aching. You may look at it, it's swollen. You can hardly go out that day. And you have been well for 99 days. Today will have been the 100th day 
And when you remember, you quickly go over the messages you preached in the last two months. And you realize that at this point that when you were preaching here, the spirit of the prophet came upon you. You suppressed it because there were too many people there who did not understand. The Lord didn't say anything. You went to the other place. You were teaching and teaching. Then the spirit of the prophet came upon you again. You say, I beg, I'm tired. I want to go home. And this has been going on for the last two months. You will have to call those people back and say, can we fix another meeting? They will say, yes, you will go back there and prophesy. And prophesy and see visions and do everything. And your elbow will be normal again. I hope you're getting my point. So even if you're, listen, don't let your mistake, you, there are times you look at your life, you wonder, what am I doing here? I don't know what I get my point. If it doesn't happen to you, you won't understand. But those who have happened to, you're like, God, what? And you know, you look back, it's you. You know, there are things, there are, there are things that will happen and say, who is doing this to me? This one, you know who is doing it to you. It is you. You make stupid decisions. They warn you about some things. You know, you just know, say, this is me. So the normal thing is that maybe you hear people like me preach about the plan of God, the will of God. You now be frustrated that we have missed it. We can't retrace our steps back to that place. This is my message for you today. It's not true. No matter how hard I preach the will of God, anybody preaches the will of God, and how much you have walked away from it, you needed to walk away from it to be able to fulfill it. Because if you had tried to fulfill it, you would have thought you knew how to. You know what Catherine Kuhlman said? Catherine Kuhlman said the only reason why she could do what she did was because she was nothing. God poured a special anointing upon her. Healing anointing. She said something, she may not have been writing this, I'll just quote it. That she does not believe she was the first person that God chose. That she believed the person God chose before her was a man. But that the person wouldn't agree. But God gave it to her and she accepted. The point is, why did she accept? She said she was nothing. She had lost everything. She didn't have anything. She didn't have a name. She didn't have money. She had nothing. If you go and read Catherine Kuhlman's story, you know how she married a man she called Mr. Never told us his real name. She was one tall, fine evangelist who was one very handsome preacher too. He used to come to the church where she was and they were getting closer and closer and closer. Then one day he said his wife left him. He said. And then she married him despite everybody telling her, don't. In fact, the day of the wedding, she said no, she's not marrying again. But everybody had left her, her best friends, everybody had gone. But then she turned back, there was nobody to go to again. So she now had no choice but to finally agree to marry the man. As soon as she did, her ministry ended. Her life came to an end. She confessed at the point in time that she loved him more than she loved God. Oh yes, she confessed it. And listen, saying you love somebody is not how you feel. Because I say, how can you love God more than, how can you feel you love God more than Trump? No, how can you love somebody more than God? No, me, I can never love more than God. This feeling thing can be manufactured. So it's easy to love God, to claim you do. Jesus said, if you want to know whether you love me, we come to your choice making time. If a man loves me, he will keep my word. It's whose word you are keeping that you love. It's not the person that you are feeling butterfly for. I hope you're getting my point. True. That's what the word of God is. That's how life is. She said at the point in time she loved him more than she loved the Lord. And the Lord, you know God is very, very nice. He's a jealous God. He can't tolerate that. But he's also very patient towards us. He's mindful, but we are both stupid. I hope you get my point. The Bible uses the word flesh. I'm just the one that put the word stupid there. Okay. 
<laughs> He's mindful. He knows. He said, they leave them. I will collect them back. I, I know what I, I'm going to do. When people take God's wife, he, he fights to collect his wife back. It's not like uh, human beings like us. If you take the wife, go now. But God said, you take my wife, lie, lie. I'm, com- I'm coming, I'm collect. Look, I will collect her back. Go and read your Bible. You know Hosea? That prophet in the Bible. Was not Hosea? The one that, the wife was running away and coming back. God used him as an example of what he has done. Hosea went and married his stupid wife. According to the instruction of God, the wife was a harlot. He said, why? Of all the fine girls in this society, he said, no, no, that's the one I wanted to marry. You know, people want to be prophets. You know, it's because he's making money. If not for the money side, nobody wants to be prophet. Prophet work is hard. If you read your Bible, I don't know why anybody wants to be prophet. Me? Prophet? No, God, I like the teacher job. I dress well. I wear a suit. <laughs> Drive a nice car. I speak good English. I will never eat locusts and white honey. You will bake my bread. You understand my point? You make my better soup. That's, my, that's, that's the teacher's office. This prophetic office, locust and white honey. Of all the fine clothes in town, people were wearing silk. You are wearing camel skin. That's what happened to John. In case you do not know, someone did not cut his hair. Every time I come to preach here, I, I trim my hair, trim my beard, trim everything. Not someone. Elisha, to become a prophet. They collected everything he had. Farm, farm, everything, abandoned it. What kind of job is that? Who wants to be a prophet? <laughs> Jeremiah, oh God, let's not go there. It's Ezekiel's one that paid me the most. I woke up one morning, God said, Ezekiel, how are you? He said, I'm fine, sir. He said, today your wife will die. Ha! See, that's not the problem. The problem is you must not cry. <laughs> you know, if you just say your wife is it's okay. He said, the love of your youth, or the love of your life, that's how he described her. Today she's going to die. So they came to Hosea. What's your own prophetic job? Go to that junction. Where those girls hang out. Marry one of them. And this girl did not change her ways, though. You think, okay, now I've settled. People say, because I'm not settled. That's like, no, no, no. You are, something's wrong with you. That's why you're doing what you're doing in the first place. After Hosea married, his wife will run out and go and play the harlot. And God will say, go and bring her back. Ha! Ah, Hosea will go there. Sometimes they've sold her. He will pay and collect the wife back so he can prophesy. God, when that goes back, God will say, say to my people, thus says the Lord. <laughs> God, you should have just told me like that. You didn't have to go. <laughs> Did I tell you I wouldn't this? <laughs> Did I tell you I won't deliver the message? But you know the truth? He does that for you to know, this is not a joke, for you to know how he feels. It's easy to read out the message, but to say it with the way God is feeling, you have to feel it more. Anyway, back to what I was saying. So God is very, very, very jealous, but his own jealousy knows that, knows that I vex. I'll kill you because I'm jealous. I will collect you back. I will fight. Do what I have to do. Correct my heart back. So like I was saying, so what happened to Catherine Kuma at that point in time was, of course, she went with the man, God, the Lord was just looking and said, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, the Lord knew what, how she, what he was doing. Tightened, squeezed her neck well. Squeezed their lives well. Made the two of them miserable. I think it was six years. She was living with the man. 
And every day the Lord will let her know that the one you have now is not your husband. You know, it's in the Bible like that. You have had five husbands. This one is not your own. The Holy Spirit made it clear. This man is not your husband. If you like, stay here forever. He's not your husband. His ministry folded. Her ministry ended. She had nothing, nobody again. When she saw that her life was over, nowhere else to go, she woke up one day, packed her bag, looked at the man, and said, Oga, I have a choice out of two. A choice to make. Either I stay with you, or I return to the Lord. And the man told her straight that if you leave, I will never talk to you again. <laughs> is that what my matter is right now? It was very painful. Saw her off to the train station. She left, and they never saw again till she died. So only once she received a card, Christmas time. It was signed, Mister. By that time, she was watching. He must have been watching her on TV. He must have been seeing her in newspapers. She had become a big star. Everybody knew her. She was everywhere. But the point I'm making is this: She said that there was no way she would have done what that's what she did, except that she was nothing. When she left that man's house, she had no. She didn't have money. Her whole life's possession was one small briefcase, just a few clothes. She had nothing. I don't know how she finally got back again. Just looked for a place, just joined people, started working in church, preaching. She had a very strong anointing. And then one day she discovered the healing power of God began to flow. We quote Kenegin all the time, powerfully anointed man. Yet, the day they said Kenegin should stand in, because Miss Coolman was in hospital, she was ill. The first thing he did was to try and explain why the anointing today will not be so powerful, because Madame no day. That's the kind of presence she carried. But she said, why could I do that? Because I was nothing. I had been reduced to zero. But how was she reduced to zero? By her own mistakes, by her own choices. So listen to me, even your errors, I've come to tell you that today. They, they did not drive you away from the will of God. They made it possible for you to fulfill the will of God. Because sometimes before we make mistakes, we are strong. We know how to do it. We know everything. We know the right scriptures to quote, how to arrange and who to connect with. But when you are in the, in the midst of everything, when you have done it wrong, and you are now down flat to zero. You now look at God and say, God, if you can use zero. That's what Catherine Kuma said. Said to God, if you can use nothing, this is nothing. I hereby give you nothing. I have nothing to give. So such people, when they open their mouth and say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. They are not quoting scripture. They are telling you the way things are in their lives. That by the grace of God, I am what I am. Listen, blessed is the one that has been reduced to zero. Is that your name? Amen. Because the Lord can raise that one to where he wants. Sometimes the reason why God can't do stuff for us is because we know how to do it. So God says, okay, when you finish doing it, here you give me space. No, that's a matter of fact. Sometimes, when we know too many scriptural principles, self, not a problem. You know, it can be a problem. You know, the scripture to quote the buttons to press. That's the way they say such prayers. Because, is that so? Okay, go and do everything. You will pray the prayer, you will press the button. That's why you know, I don't know let me not go there. <laughs> why is it possible they know everything like this? I know certain keys. <laughs> I've seen people that go to certain churches and say they know certain keys. Certain keys? Be pressing it. Look, the, 
I was going to say, may God not frustrate you, but no. The other prayer, may God frustrate you early. Say amen. amen. Let him not do it late. Let him do it early. Very early. So that you can really release your life to him to manage by himself. Remember I began this by explaining something. Eternal problems, that's what he's solving. Eternal problems. He solved it for David. Solved it for Job. And he's solving it for all of us here today. Everybody. We just need to understand that. I was explaining that, see, everything he gives you is to solve that problem. Even when you are working for him, in that process, he's producing perfection in you. Even when you are supposedly doing what is right. And I went into the issue that even when it is wrong, that's why I now went into this. That I began to explain that even when it is wrong, that's why it will still be produced. It will still be produced. But let's bear it in mind. That's what he's doing now. This world, listen to this. God, look for, you see, you must understand something. When you, once you are a child of God, you are a peculiar, you know, he said, if anyone is in Christ, what is the person? A new creation. Let me say something to you. What it means is that you are, you are an unbeliever. When God looks from above, he doesn't see people with the same destiny, the same problems. See, a believer may be here, an unbeliever is there, they look at life physically, they are from the same village, you know, background, everything, educational status and all of that. And they may even be walking the same place. But what God is doing for one person, doing in one person, that, that's what I want to say, is different from what he's doing in the, in the other. So, this man does everything, God, God makes him, gives him promotion, yeah, he becomes this, he becomes that. Whatever area is working, he gets promoted, gets promoted rapidly. We make this mistake of thinking that, so, me being a child of God, if God can give an unbeliever a brand new car, he will give to me a brand new SUV. Amen. If unbelievers are driving limousines, we believers will fly private jets. Hallelujah. Listen to me, that gospel has no meaning. It's not even a bad gospel, it just has no meaning. I'm not talking about it's good. It's just, it's meaningless. It's like you coming to church and say, hey, amen, hallelujah, broom, 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 paka, paka, dust, hey, hey. So, in heaven, they don't even know you are saying anything. It's meaningless. You know what God is saying? If I need to fire you to produce eternal traits, I will fire you. What are you talking about? If I can do this for this, I can do that for that. What nonsense are you talking about? You're a new creation. I'm molding something different inside you. Why are you comparing yourself with somebody who's not going anywhere? No matter how much cars you buy, fly jets you fly, you are going to drive it on this earth, fly around on this earth, fly, 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 one day you die. Then you go... Go to hellfire. Are you getting my point? Just go where you are going. I'm talking about people I want to take. I'm molding them into something new. So if your name is Joseph, fine boy, your father loves you because you, are the, you remind him of your mother. So they are, that's how they are spoiling your destiny for me. You, do you get my point? There's no problem. I will send you into a pit. I will sell you as a slave. Do you get my point? You become a servant, a slave in somebody else's house. 
and there's nothing your father will be able to do about it. And then I will teach you early that all these boys who did all these bad things to you, you can't even be angry. Do you follow what I'm saying? That I'll, I'll, I'll be looking at you say, hey, see, how are, see how your brother is the one that started it. But next time you see you are going to take care of him, his children. Why? Because I said so. Do you know, go and read the story of Joseph. By the time God was done, done with Joseph, he, he used to cry when they begged him not to take vengeance. I don't know whether you get my point. That they say, our father said you shouldn't avenge, you know, because of the bad things we did to you. Like, what is wrong with you people? Are you, you know, for him, this is harassment. Are you not saying I'm God? That's what he said. Am I in God's stead? I know what you did was bad, but I'm talking about what God did in Joseph. So, once he was there, all the one of, uh, you know, my father has a promise from God, all of those nonsense, see my fine clothes. God removed his cloth, made him naked, threw him into a pit. Where's your father now? God does not joke. I've explained this in many times. He doesn't joke. When he sends to Potiphar's house, better go and learn this, the, 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 what do you call it? The lessons in the life of, in the house of Potiphar. Otherwise, you'll be there for a long time. Nobody will know where you are. They will send search party. They will, pa- they will patrol around Potiphar's house and they won't find you. And when you find yourself in prison, don't say this world is wicked. They are not the discovery. They've been wicked before you were born. Forget the world. Just ask yourself, do you understand? What am I doing here? What is God doing in my life here? Look, I like one thing my pastor said those days. He said, he said they, they imprisoned Joseph, you know, unjustly. He said, is that new? He said, go to that prison. Many people are there unjustly imprisoned. He said, but listen to this. That, but what God was using the unjust imprisonment to produce in the life of Joseph is a discussion. I hope you're getting my point here. That is, in Joseph's case, the unjust imprisonment was working for him an eternal weight of glory. Now, not the fact that he was lifted physically to a platform. I don't want us to focus on that. And one day, the man began to enjoy. That's not the point. For him to be able to function well on that platform, and not become proud, arrogant, and vengeful. It was because God worked something in his life in prison. Do you get my point here? So please, believers, we, we, we can't be comparing ourselves with people. I, I see Christians doing sometimes, you just look and you know. I want to move to another side of my message, okay? I'll get back to the main thing later, alright? But when I see Christians do some things, I just look and say, you don't understand what God is doing with your life. They settle down and whine and complain about the country. They settle down, whine and complain about what is going on, where they will run to, where they won't run to. You know, let me say something. When we are making decisions, when we talk about God spoke to God did not speak to me, forget all of these things. I did you hear voices? Did you not hear voices? Your decisions are only in line with your understanding of what your life is about. How do I say it? Listen. If you think life is about me, you should have extra money. God cannot speak to you not to run to where life is better. He can't. It's only when through teaching, through experience, you have come to realize that no, my life is not about this. That God is working perfection in me. We talked about that about two years ago. That God is working perfection in me. You understand that God put a seed inside me that must multiply on the earth. Like I said last time, 
People will come and say, my, everywhere is too dark, everywhere is too dark. My light cannot shine. Show me where there's light, you'll see me shine. Basically, they don't realize they are light. They think they need light to see. They don't realize that they are the source of light for some people. I don't know whether you're getting my point. They don't realize they are light. That's why they are saying, that. give me where light, you see me shine. No, they think light is outside. Light is somewhere else. So anytime they want to make decisions, is I can't see. I can't see. Where can I find light so I can see? But those who understand that we are the light of the world, according to the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, anytime they find darkness, know what they are thinking of? Where is my platform to shine? Anytime they find darkness, what they are thinking of is what? Where is my platform by which I will shine? One of the things that we believers must learn, no, talk about this new creation thing, and I'm trying to get into something. Have we read the scripture today? Yeah, okay, we, we, we read that uh, Philippians chapter this thing. Okay, I, there are two more, three more I wanted to read. Like the, the one we read last time, Daniel 12, Ezra 7. We'll still get back to them, hopefully. But let me see where I can get to. I was saying something. That for Christians, understand, we understand our lives are very, very different. Now, when we understand that, listen, that, that, that kind of situation, that I am light, I am supposed to shine. We will respond to darkness differently. Okay? Now, one of the things that helps, that's the point I wanted to make, helps the power of God move in our lives, is what I call proper definitions. Proper alignment with thoughts. Let me explain. We began it last time, or recently. Let's take prosperity as an example. The normal human being does not a new creation. When he hears prosperity, riches, wealth, what he thinks, what she thinks is, I can enjoy myself. I can provide for my children. I can secure the future. I don't have to worry about, you know, what shall I eat, what shall I drink, with what shall I clothe myself. So for him or her, that's money. That's wealth. So, if he finds the opportunity to steal a few millions of dollars and hide somewhere, he will do it. But for, for we believers, it's very, very different. New creation in Christ Jesus. We understand that we are witnesses. Now, to be a witness, there are two sides to it. One, you, that is, you saw something, you are a witness, so you, you'll be able to talk about it. Secondly, your life is a story to tell to explain what God is like. Do you follow my point? For example, he says that he's a God of Abraham. So when you hear something like he's a God of Abraham, he's a God of Isaac, and he's a God of Jacob, what God was saying, he wasn't just saying that this is a God this man served. What he was saying is beyond that. What he was saying is this. Listen, if you want to encounter God and know what he's like, you go and see Abraham. Look at his life. Do you understand my point? See the kind of things that happened with him. Let's take Abraham as an example. You see a man who was settled somewhere. There was uprooted at the age of 75. Then he moved around a bit, lived in tents. At the age of 100, his wife being 90, his wife conceived, you understand, and gave birth. And then the young boy was, the young man, was a man at that time, was sacrificed to a God who asked him to sacrifice him. And that 
you know, if the boy was going to be raised up again from the dead, you know, you see the whole story. You see how God deals with somebody. You learn something about God from Abraham. Are you getting my point? The same thing, Isaac. Jacob, a few times referred to God as the fear of Isaac. You saw a man's walk, the way he stepped, where he did not step. And you knew the reason why he walked like that. Same thing with Jacob. The whole story of the life of Jacob. Now, that's what it means to be a witness, another side of being a witness. For that reason, a Christian can never steal a few million dollars and hide. That's not the witness of his God. I don't know whether you get my point. That is, it is better he dies in poverty than to say I stole money and hid it somewhere. His life is... Do you, you, you get my point? The whole life is saying something about his God. Bishop Oedipo used to say something, and I learned that from him. He said he used to say to God, if you can't bless me in Nigeria, please don't bless me anywhere. He said, because I need to be able to tell my people they can be saved. That statement is what I'm talking about. See, there are decisions you make. You know, I've told the story before. Somebody told Pastor Courage, my friend in Sokoto, who most of us here know. Crisis, crisis, crisis. They said, send your wife. He said, run down to the south. He said, I can't. I'm a pastor of a church. He said, okay, send your wife and your children to us. We'll take care of them. He said, but what about the other wives and the other children in the church? If you can send enough flight tickets, I send all of them to you. But if you think I will just take my own wife and my children. He said, I thank God for honoring him, okay? God blessed him and all of that. He said, that period, nobody in his church ran away. Nobody. And the reason is easy to see. When the man says, let us pray, they will go and pray because the man too is praying. I don't know what I'm saying. saying. Christians, listen. When we're talking about being witnesses, new creation, we should understand that God is actually literally building us up to showcase something. So anytime I want to make a decision, you can't decide the way the guy beside you, who is not a new anything, is deciding. You have to understand that you are facing a different direction in life. You have a different purpose. The reason why you are marrying is not the reason why they are marrying. Listen, the reason why you are working is not the reason why they are working. At all. You work for two totally different reasons. The reason why you are doing business is not the reason why they are doing business. Now, when you, be, you see, when we talk about the will of God, the will of God, like I said earlier, <laughs> when we talk about God's, God's will, I say, no, it's difficult to explain the will of God until we understand what we mean by the will of God. Are you getting my point? What this person is saying by the will of God. These are the things that we Christians understand as the will of God. It's called sanctification. It's called not being conformed with the world. It's the, you know, those are the background things running inside the hearts, the minds of believers. Then we make, now listen to this, common sense decisions and it's the will of God when we do that. What I mean, the, the thing is common sense to us. Because, for example, they say, ah, let's do business like this. We'll block this on nobody. We say, wait, 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 wait. The God I serve sees everything. And if I have to testify of how this business was built, once I remove that story, I can't complete. Then that story, you know, there is something about it. It's incomplete. So I have no witness for my God correctly. So it's not about uh, um, the God say we should do it or God say we shouldn't do it. Just by reasoning and knowing exactly what we are trying to achieve, 
we make what is to us common sense decisions. And let me quickly say this before I forget it. People who behave like this, they are very hard for God to find. And they are the ones he's looking for. And let me say something, believers. It's not just what you do with yourself, what you do with your children too. I hope you know they're the same thing. In fact, that one is more important. God was going to kill Moses for not circumcising his son. His son. So the reason why you are sending your children to school is not the reason why the unbelievers are doing it. It's not the same reason. That's like there are decisions people make about schooling for their children sometimes. I can't make them. I can't. I can't make that. Maybe I just have certain levels of understanding. I just can't make those decisions. For example, I'm not sending any of my children far away from here for first degree. For what? I'm not saying it's evil. You can do that one. You can do You have the money. But it's not about money. Because I put many things together. I don't know what you are trying to achieve. Say, when you have a degree from Harvard, your life... You know, every one of my children, they are named for certain reasons. Now, each person has his own name her name, and there's something about it that has a meaning, alright? Both the English one and the native ones, they all have meanings. But one thing I came to understand some time ago is that actually, each one is a name of everybody. Just that we have to allocate the name. Do you understand my point? For example, if I, if I tell you, this is Akinolu. Akinolu means the Lord's warrior. But it's not the only Lord's warrior in the household. The mother is the Lord's warrior. The father is worrying for the Lord. The younger ones are worrying. The ones unborn who are worrying. <laughs> Everybody is worrying for the Lord. The people I'm teaching the word, they are worrying. Once you're around me, you're a lost warrior. Okay, Nano? <laughs> you are a lost warrior. That's the truth. Now, what am I talking about? His younger brother's name is Daniel. If you go and read the story, Daniel, in the, um, that tract, you see it there. It means God my judge, all right? And what it means is that God is raising me up. And that's why his native name is Olubenga, which means the Lord lifts me up, makes me high. Do you understand my point? Now, another name, another word we can use to describe that is grace. Now, that name is given to him as a sign of what I believe. What his mother believes. Which is what their lives, every single one must demonstrate. So I don't believe in, study this course in university, it will make you rich. If I say that, I've just dashed that child to poverty. Study the one you want to study. Which one do you enjoy the most? Which one will allow you to express yourself the most? As to whether you be rich or poor, it's not decided by that one. Like I always say, Dangote, what's his first degree? You don't know, you don't care. I hope you're getting what I'm trying to say. You don't know, you don't care. You don't care. If you ask me, if I say BSC, MA, what do you concern you? So if you say, if he has OND Islamic studies, that's his father's problem. It doesn't concern you. You don't, you don't care. All you know is that the one day the man brought 6 billion US dollars unborrowed. Put it down. Said we need 17 billion. Was it six or seven he brought? One of the two. And even if it's two, is that one not enough? <laughs> you say whether it's six or seven. Even if it's two billion, the man brought. We're talking US dollars here. Do you know what they call US dollars? I don't think you understand what I'm saying. 
The man put down for the ground. So yeah, guys, that's all you care about. His first degree, until I brought it up, did you discuss it in your house before? So for my children, it's the same thing. I really don't, I, because I don't know where God is taking you to, if he likes, anything he likes. The discussion will just be, what would you like to do? Do you enjoy this? You like this? You like this one? Can you flow with this? We'll discuss it. I, I have, I have, I mean, it's not like I don't have any desires also. I can encourage you, no, this would be nice. This would be nice. Let's discuss it. We'll do it. In the midst of our discussion, not discussing, God knows where he's taking us to. I said the story, I went to the University of Benin. Okay? By accident. I still think one of the best things that happened in my life. But it was an accident. Well, when I say accident, let me say what I say. I filled my jam form. My parents were going to submit, and they, stopped, they ran into my cousin. Oh, which school did you choose? Of course, the typical Western person's choices those days. Because everybody is very regional in their thinking. It's Ife, Ibadan, and Ilori. Lagos is not one of the choices unless you're in, you're in Lagos or you're an adventurous creature. Normal people don't go to Lagos. <laughs> that, that, I grew up in Ondo State. That's our reasoning there. There are a few adventurous human beings. But the normal people, under standard temperature and pressure, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was the normal choice. If is first choice, if is second choice, if Lauren is third choice. That's it. Look. There were no other universities in Nigeria. Those were just those days as far as you were concerned. What we did not realize was that closer home, just 70, just 100 kilometers down the road, was the University of Benin. And my cousin was there. So that they just, they were going to submit the phone. Just say, no, 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 no. No, no, ah, why is he going so far? No, 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 Benin, yeah, you know, he just, and he was a medical student, was a final year medical student at that time. So he just said, no, 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 he just told one story here and there. Persuaded my parents they returned the forms. We started tipexing. Let's make a long story short. Just make a long story short. That was how I got to University of Benin. That was how I joined my fellowship. That was how I became a Bible student. I didn't go to University of Benin primarily to go and study medicine. Medicine was to keep me where people can be watching me while I learn the word of God. That's all. Because it takes so long. To, six years, you'll be in school. So six years, put me in rooms where people either genuinely or they had to act it, they had to talk the word of God. Yes, he did all of that. Then I graduated, became, of course, a donor fellowship member, came back for my convention, then found my wife, who had this foolish idea, too, of running to Lagos, and her father changed it to Univen so that she could meet me eventually. That was the The Lord is good. God is walking out... He's working out his things. He's working out his thing. So, the way we make, now, I was talking about our children, the way we make decisions concerning them is with this same thing in mind. I was using that word, God lifts me up. So I know that even their lives, I can't structure it so as to take away glory from God. They will be established if I will bless them and they will learn righteousness and justice. They have to learn righteousness and justice. So my primary focus is who is going to teach them righteousness and justice? If Harvard can't do that for me, why do I want to donate them to Harvard while they are young? I hope you're getting my point here. Why would I want to do that? I know they have no destiny except they learn righteousness and justice. So why would I want them 
to go to where they can't learn righteousness and justice. People of God, please follow me. It's for people to commit themselves to God to this level. That every, remember I said, I read two extra portions of the scriptures that time, of uh, that Philippians chapter 3, because I wanted to explain something. That Paul said that, let us, as many as are mature, so let me just, I think my Bible is still open dead. I just want to read it. No, don't bother opening it. I'll read it out to you. He said, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Now, what I want to bring out is, is that he said, if in anything you have a different attitude, that tells us that you can have a right attitude in some areas and have wrong attitudes in other areas. And the assignment, that's what I'm talking about, change assignment. The assignment is to ensure that in every area of life, you have the right attitude for a new creature in Christ Jesus, or then I prefer the word, for the new creation, something new that God is producing. The reason why we marry is not the same reason neighbors are married. The reason why we go to school is not the same reason. One of the things I've learned is that I find it very hard, and God is helping me with it every day. I find it very hard to do things for what I'm going to get. Today, like I told you, I was chatting with some of my classmates. You know, something went into the way things are done in the academic sector. Some of my friends abroad, he said that sometimes it amazes him how we do a lot of research that are pointless, headless, just because we want to be promoted. Because the university will not promote you unless you publish something. So you see all kinds of stupid ideas. You, people just be doing things. Why? So as I discussed, and I said, people don't care. They just want, what? Promotion. And you know what I found out? It's very hard for me to do such things. Personally, God will say, sit down there. Don't be promoted. Sit down. But I find it so hard. Now, what am I going to explain? I have learned something as a matter of fact in my own life. If I'm doing something purely because of how I'm going to benefit most times he frustrates it. There are some that Paul said a number of times in the Bible. He said, those who are not work, working, they should go and look for work so that they will have food to eat. Was that what he said? No. He said, let them go and work so that they will have something to give. So they will have something to share. He never told them, go and work so that you have food to eat. He said, go and work so you have to share. It, something done on me, therefore. That Paul was saying that the reason why we work is so we can share. And we share in different ways. I can earn money and share. Or that work itself is sharing. I don't know what I hear what I said there. That work itself. That is, this thing, no, ah, it's a beautiful idea, it's a beautiful project, or somebody's going to be blessed. What can I contribute? So I go to go and work so as to contribute. Do you get my point? Just to give an illustration that the reason why we do everything is different. And that's why we are called new creation. That is, this is a whole new set of living people, but who the structure of their lives is based on a different set of parameters, a different set of principles. Listen to this. It is when God finds people like that. I want to end it here. That is when his power starts manifesting again on the earth. A scripture I want us to read. I was going to start with it, but of course, my aim in everything is so that we will be those people. Each one of us will be so soaked in this new creation thing 
that God will stop lacking people, especially in our country, Nigeria. In this continent, Africa, which I believe God has a special purpose for. And indeed will affect the rest of the world. I want us to read a particular portion of the scriptures. It's something I just want to bring out. So let me just get it out. I, I didn't uh, put it out earlier. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Now I was talking about Paul and the work that he did in Ephesus. I'll just read from verse 1 until I get to 8 and I'll slow down. I'm going to jump several until I get to 8. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And then um, he baptized them. In verse 6, when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. They were in all about 12 men. Now notice verse 8. And they entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, remember those disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for how long? This took place for how long? This took place for two years. Reasoning how often? Yeah. Everybody going to church for that every day. Two years. How often do we come here? Kingdom word. Twice a week. It wasn't like that for him. It was every day for two years. So that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Where was he? In the school of Tyrannus, people were coming and going. People were hearing the word. Now, this is where I'm going. Verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Now, I'm going to stop reading here. Okay? Now, what I want to bring out was one of our brothers commented this. I never saw it like that before until he showed it to me. Paul was preaching very patiently for a very long time. Why was he doing that? First, this is the first connection. The Bible tells us that before it told us about the extraordinary miracles happening. You know what we like? We want to preach for 30 minutes and extraordinary, <laughs> extraordinary miracles will happen. It doesn't work like that. This man was preaching every day. And listen, if you think I speak for long, I don't know how many of you think I speak for long. It's a sign that you have not been going to church. Maybe you grew up as a Catholic, you went to one or two Anglican churches. That's why you think Pastor Bangi preaches for long. No, no, when the homily in your church is 35 minutes, why won't you think I preach for long? Nobody who grew up in gospel faith mission will say I preach for long. Because you go to church by 7 or 8 in the morning, you'll come back home in the afternoon. I don't even know the time. Nobody who has been to Bilia Kone's meeting will say I preach for long. Can you see the moaning and groaning <laughs> in the congregation? I, wish, I hope you can hear it. Nobody who has been to Bilia Kone's meeting will say I preach for long. And nobody who has been there when Chris Devan is preaching will even imagine Pastor Chris Devan is preaching, you say I preach for long, you don't know anything yet. I told you I went for a meeting. They said they gave Pastor Chris Delvan 
a microphone that I should please just say something for five, for 10 minutes because it was a wake keep. One of our senior brothers died. So he collected the microphone and said that, uh, hmm, this man died. He said to all of us, we should just imagine that he's the one that died. And that the other man was given the microphone to speak for 10 minutes. Will he agree? So we said no. He said, see, so he has to retaliate. That was what he said, that he was going to retaliate. They gave him the mic. He dropped it after two hours at a wake up. And he was not the main minister. <laughs> but when he dropped it, we were sad. We did not want him to drop the mic. That was my first time of encountering the man live. I've seen him once or twice on TV. The Lord is good. So if you think I'm preaching for long, you don't know anything yet. That's what I'm trying to say in all of these things. Because Paul preached longer than me. That's where I'm going. <laughs> and he did it every day. One day, you know, last, was it last year? Was it this year? Last year. Yeah, last year. That time Pastor Courage came here. He left the meeting, you know, to, then, then to go back. That one did it in Sokoto for 30 days, three days, three times a day. First service, six or six thirty in the morning. Second one, I think 11 or 10. And then third one by five. And 30 straight days. If we do that in Enugu, no, we have to do that in Enugu one of these days. Let me pray. When the Lord gives us the liberty, we do it. 30 days. Morning and evening. Okay, no, Israel, let's just start with once a day first. Abby? <laughs> what, what do you think? <laughs> Three times a day for 30 straight days. And guess what? The place was full all the time. Now, I want to say this to you. That is what brings down the power of God. Because in that process, what we are doing is this. We are taking every aspect of our lives, examining that aspect with the word of God, and arranging ourselves in a new creation fashion. For example... We may take this business, this business we have been taking as an example. Why do we work as new creations? Because new creations are not working for what they are going to get. New creations are trying to establish God's righteousness on the earth. So we begin to describe how do we work? With what? What skill? Where does it come from? How do we tap into the skill that God is sending? What is the purpose? What if business appears like it's failing? We describe all of this in light of the new creation operating system. When we are done with that area, when the church as a body has rearranged itself to heavenly standards in that area, you know what will start happening? The power of God will start flowing naturally into our businesses. Remember, we are not competing with Bill Gates or Facebook on who is the richest man in the world. We are just doing our business. I hope you're getting my point. We are not competing. Then when we are done with that, we say, come on, there's a kind of bliss that God created for marriage and all of that. Then we take another week, three times a day, or let's take Paul, every day, two months, every day. We're examining the word of God, correcting ourselves, asking questions, answering questions, you know, looking at the scriptures, lining some things. At the end of that two months, we see the power of God flowing into every home. So much that neighbors will take handkerchief, beat a husband, you know, tap anointing from his body. Go home. 
rub it on their bed. And life in that home will become calm. They'll be driving evil spirits out of marriages. What are we doing? We are rearranging ourselves to be people who carry that grace. That's what, that's what grace is. We're not talking about grace. That is people who carry the grace, which is the power of God, manifested in our lives. Let me say it again. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for those who will carry it. All this calo calo Christianity, is, it has come to an end. Somebody say amen. amen. What is calo calo Christianity? I show up in church for 30 minutes. I give an offering, buffalo offering, and then expect a miracle. God say, no, it doesn't work like that. Let's do that Ezra chapter 7 again, and I'll close with it. That was the place I was hoping to go on from, from today, but the Lord led us this way. Ezra chapter 7. What I'm hearing in my spirit is that God needs real disciples. People who are transforming themselves in every aspect of their lives. In every aspect of their lives, they are transforming themselves into people who are literal Jesus' walking on the earth. From verse 9, Ezra chapter 7 verse 9. For on the first of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. Because the good hand of his God was upon him. Why was the good hand upon him? For Ezra has set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. There was a statement I was making earlier. Let me make it again. When we are defining prosperity, one of the things we understand now is what is a platform. I hope you're getting my point. It's what? A platform. A platform to witness. I've explained that one of the things about being a witness is that your life reflects something. Last time we told the story again of um, St. Francis of Assisi who said to his followers, if our lives don't preach the gospel, our words can't. And what we are calling people back to now is the real life of disciples that preaches the gospel in every aspect. Not just trying to show it off, but just living it in reality. We are calling for an Ezra generation because the calamities that are upon this nation is directed at the church in the, in the country so that they can call themselves back to order and stop being conformed to the world. I dare to say I look, I've looked around. Now listen, I'm not speaking as a prophet, just one that I suspect very strongly. Prosperity is going to come again upon the whole land. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, not just because we prayed, even though we prayed, but because God has a purpose for it. But it is important, he's saying, that his people learn what he calls prosperity. Because the last time he blessed them abundantly, they were worldly in their expenditure of it. What were they doing with it? Sending children all over the world for education? Building better churches? Pastor's birthday was with better cars? Yes? What are they doing with it? Buying houses abroad. What are they doing with it? So I caught for a famine upon the land. I broke the staff of bread. But just for a short while. Because prosperity shall come again. But before it comes, that the people must understand what he calls prosperity according to the new creation operating system. That is when it will bless them. Because we just have to radically depart from what the world calls prosperity. We have to. It's important. 
We don't come to church to prosper the way the, the world prospers. No. At all. We don't. One thing is sure, we will not be hungry. Somebody say amen. amen. God, no, it's not me that said it, though. Jesus that said it, too. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't be afraid to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm convinced that God is looking for people that he can pass normal power through. You know what they call normal power? You know, let me explain what I mean by normal power. There's miraculous power. You know, something just happened. Hey, somebody, no. Jesus is looking for money to pay something. There's nothing, nothing is there. So just to Peter, go and fish. Just go and fish and solve that problem. I call that normal power. That was normal for Jesus Christ. You wouldn't catch him, you would not be able to solve a personal need. It never happened one day. If he did not eat, he did not want to eat. Do you get my point? God is looking for people who will pass normal power into their homes, into their lives, but they must not interpret their own things the way the world does. It's very important. Let's bow down our heads and give you all thanks for the word of today. Let's thank the Lord for the word that we have heard. Let's thank him. Let's lift up our voices and say, Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Can I just repeat after me, say in the name of Jesus. The words I've heard today, they are producing in me. I'm being transformed in every aspect of my life into the image of Christ Jesus. I am being changed into the new creation system in every aspect of my life, in the work of my hands, in all my endeavors, in all my relationships. I am being changed. I am being changed. I'm becoming like Christ in every aspect. Now say this, the power of God is flowing into me. The power of God is flowing through me. I'm a blessing to this generation. I reflect Christ to this generation. Say the power of God is flowing into me. The power of God is flowing through me. Into this generation. I am a blessing of God. The light of God to this generation. The salt of this earth. In the name of Jesus Christ. Say every affliction. Every trouble. Every walk of the devil is out of my life now. Very important. Because when Jesus is walking, he drives away the walk of the devil. I don't have time to teach it now. There's a difference between what God is doing and the, what the Bible calls the oppression of the devil. Jesus came to deliver people from every oppression. So every oppression is out of your life now in Jesus' name. Amen. Many troubles in this life, they are the, what the Bible calls the oppression of the devil. Every oppression of the devil is out of your life now in the name of Jesus. Let me say one more time. Every oppression of the devil, I speak against it. Spiritual oppression, be gone in the name of Jesus. Physical oppression, be gone in the name of Jesus. Every pain, every trouble, every confusion that Satan has left in anyone's life that's listening to me this evening, I command it to disappear in the name of Jesus. Now that you have set your heart on the things of Christ, there's nowhere for Satan to hold. He said, the priest of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. I say, from now, he has nothing in you. He has nothing in you. You are free in the name of Jesus. You know, I don't have to say it, but let's say it just so that we'll remind ourselves. Generational curses have been broken. They've been broken. And every remnant of it is gone in the name of Jesus. 
I speak against troubles that came from generations past. They will not speak again in your life in the name of Jesus. As you go home from here, peace is your portion. Safety is your portion. You know, the world always likes to pump all the troubles around. There's killing here. They kill somebody here. Heads may attack this person. Coronavirus is spreading from China. Remember, Lassa fever was here before. You know, all those kind of things. Listen, fear will not rule your life. Amen. Lassa fever will not get you. Amen. One of our brothers here, I told him to write a testimony. He hasn't written it. Lassa fever was what introduced him to Kingdom World Ministries. He was in shock for a long time that his blood pressure could not rise. Then his brother, his cousin, would just come, put messages on the phone and put beside him. And he kept on listening. He kept on listening. One day, faith was built. Oh, by this time, because this thing caused a lot of problems. His back had peeled, sores. Sores were all over his body, especially on his back. So nurses had to turn him every day. Of course, nurses would be well gagged up so that he wouldn't spread lassa to them. So one day, just told them that I'm going home this week. And the doctors laughed, literal laughter. Oh, he's a doctor himself. I forgot to tell you that part. He's a doctor himself. And if you check this lassa fever thing, has been very, very harsh on health workers. It's really taking most of the people that will kill. The last outbreak was mostly not doctors and nurses. He's a doctor himself. He told them that I'm going home this week, and they laughed. They laughed. They literally laughed, like going home. You that cannot get up yet. Your blood pressure will can't control it. Sores on your back. He said, the next day, the nurse came to dress his sores, turned his back, and shouted. The, the nurse screamed, like, what happened? The whole place had dried up. So the, I told you I'm going home this week. On Thursday, the doctor looked at him, discharged him against the next day. Friday, he packed his bag and left home. And left for home. Just because they, they just put a phone beside him, just playing messages for him morning, afternoon, and evening. He was too sick to go anywhere, so he had to hear the word. <laughs> Listen, last half ever will not get you. It, it, it will not even infect you. I'm not talking about killing you or not. It will not infect you. Amen. You will not be down for five minutes because of Lassa fever. Amen. That coronavirus is not your problem. Amen. Listen, if it was going to be your problem, we ask the Lord for mercy. And we have received it from him. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. It is not only your problem. It's not the problem of Enugu. Amen. It's not only your problem. It's not the problem of Enugu. And it's not the problem of Nigeria. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We send it back to wherever it's coming from. Peace is our portion in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, from you we obtain mercy. Amen. So for that reason, we say peace is our portion. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's no need to be afraid. God will be with you in your going out and your coming in. Amen. It is well with you in Jesus' name. Now let's share the grace in fellowship. One, two, let's go. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out from under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the Spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil because we are seated high above with Christ. This is our season of multiplication, dominion, and manifestation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I feel like I should remind us that manifestation means that you will pray for the sick and they will recover. Amen. When people tell you they are trouble, pray for them. God will answer you.